Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. It's that time of year again. It's Radiothon. And out of the blue, we're running our annual fundraising trivia night. It's on Wednesday the 23rd of May at 6pm at Highlander Bar in the city. So jump on our Facebook page, Out of the Blue, for more information and tickets. Hope to see you there. Come along and have some fun. Located in the heart of Thornbury, the Islamic Museum of Australia showcases the cultural and artistic heritage of Australian Muslims. Don't miss our latest youth-based exhibition, Ways to be Muslim, and immerse yourself in a series of photographic portraits and unique personal narratives. This exhibition is hosted in partnership with Muslim Collective and the Victorian State Government and is showing until July 8th. Visit the museum website for more information. The Islamic Museum of Australia is a 3CR supporter. 3CR has a brand new show coming very soon. It's called Dialogues and it's a show where we discuss the big questions in life. Every Wednesday night at midnight for one hour. I'm Joe Raleigh. And I'm Meg Kimber. And we'll be your presenters. Each week Joe and I talk with a new guest who has interesting insights about life. And we'll be covering topics like spirituality, creativity, digital technology, pets, comedy, families, mental health and many, many more. Dialogues is a show for everyone, a community space to bring people together. So if you're in the mood for deep, meaningful, stimulating and funny conversations, then Dialogues is the place for you. So join us for some late night chats every Wednesday night from midnight, beginning on Wednesday the 23rd. everyone and welcome to Out of the Blue on this coolish Sunday morning. You're in the studio with myself, Donna, Fum and Matt and a special guest, Ben Franciccelli, who I'll introduce in just a moment. We're talking all things old, sharks, etc. this morning. So stay tuned, you're on 855 AM 3CR. Help 3CR support the rights of Indigenous Australians. They mean to save our culture and save our dreams, our footprints, dreams, our songline, 
and keep our culture going strong. Of course, a lot of the Aboriginals, having been stolen, were put into state care and also others were... The recognition were... of what our people have been through in the last 200 years, the recognition of our culture in the last 40,000 years, and the recognition of where we are heading into the future. Welcome to uh, Survival Day, Invasion Day. 223 years ago, the white man landed on our shores. Subscribe to 3CR and help keep Indigenous voices on air. Call us on 94198377 or visit 3cr.org.au. Subscribe. Hi, now. everyone, and welcome back to 855am Out of the Blue. And we are here today with Ben Franchicelli, which will be introduced by Donna very soon. But before we start the show, I wanted to give a shout out to uh, the Project Banjo Action Group. You may remember them. Uh, PT was here in the studio a few months ago. And uh, I just wanted to let everyone know that they actually won a um, Victorian Coastal Award this week in the planning and management uh, category. So congratulations, everyone who worked on the Project Banjo Action Group looking after the raise in Victoria. Really, really well done. We're super proud and uh, yeah, fantastic news for the raise as well. So congratulations again from the team here. Yeah, excellent news and well done to that whole team. They've been working so hard the last year over a year on that project well done um before i introduce our special guest this morning i just wanted to give a plug for our out of the blue trivia night which is coming up this wednesday 23rd of may uh come come along and support us it's going to be at highlander bar in the city just near the aquarium um buy tickets on our event bright page all the details are on our facebook page and there may be whale questions as well so pay attention there'll be whale questions there's a question about ben cousins and ned kelly what do they have in common that was the clue that came out this week (laughs) which i think i know the answer to so radiothon is on the 4th to the 17th of june but our fundraiser is next week so all the details on our facebook page fabulous prizes to be won people sign up so many so our special guest this morning is Ben Franchicelli from Melbourne Aquarium, Melbourne Museum and the Port Phillip Eco Centre. Um, ben is also a wannabe velociraptor, which we found oh out just over a year ago. Oh, when no. <laughs> Why? Was that brought up? Oh, I oh, dug God. up the archives. <laughs> I'm going back deep. in time. I'm sticking with the theme of the show. <laughs> Um, now, was that a Deinonychus or an actual Velociraptor? No, it was a Deinonychus. Okay. I made sure to keep it factually accurate yeah. when I was in year one. <laughs> so, you know, jumping on top of the table, all that kind of stuff. Um, Boring. <laughs> oh, thanks. I like the jumping on the table. That's so what makes it interesting. Yeah. Ben's here to talk to us today, all things um, ancient dinosaur, oh, ancient whales, whales sorry. Yeah. Yes, whales. Whales are absolutely fascinating to me. So thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm very excited to talk about whales today and they are just so absolutely fascinating have you guys ever seen whales in the wild before yeah. yes yeah i saw yes. my first one ever in warrnambool actually oh, yeah. oh, from cool. a distance just the, yeah. the spray and a little bit of the even yeah. from a distance though i was blown away as a kid to the huge size of these creatures i mean when you consider a blue whale they are 30 meters in length they weigh 180 metric tons that is the same as 30 african elephants stacked on top of each other Crazy. when they're born they're seven meters long, and they suckle about 400 liters of milk in a single day. Wow. So I was captivated by them as a kid. I thought they were the most amazing, incredible animals ever. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you went on and you started studying the dead version and ancestor, <laughs> ancestral version of, of these whales. But there's, there's just one question I've always kind of... Um, 
you know, I struggled with and that, you know, being a marine ecologist myself, we, we're always looking at the future, especially, you know, dealing with um, mankind and the effect that we're having on the planet right now and, and climate change and mm. what is going to happen to ourselves as human beings, but also for the species on this planet. Um, so I've always been really fascinated by, by, by people like you, paleontologists, who, who really want to look far back into the past. And I've always wondered what is... What is the reason, like, what is the, the importance of looking back into the past uh, for, for this day and age? Like, what is, what is the function of paleontology in the sciences, basically? Like, what does it contribute to, you know, the problems that we're facing today, mm. actually? What is, what, what is it about paleontology that fascinates you so? I guess what fascinates me more than anything else is, number one, it's really cool. I mean, we wouldn't know anything about dinosaurs if we didn't go back into the past and try and understand them. But what it really comes down to is it is the study of evolution. It is trying to understand where all these biological organisms came from four billion years ago and all the different points of view in which they started to evolve and have the modern forms that we have today. I mean, that unequivocal question or the missing link you know uh, in terms of human evolution where do we come from it's been answered via the process of paleontology and trying to understand the past and one of the most critical things I think in relevance to today is understanding past extinction events now if you take something like the mass extinction that killed off the dinosaurs 66 million years ago what you have to imagine is a rock a meteorite that's the same size as Mount Everest Everest traveling 20 times the speed of a bullet and then it hits the Earth's atmosphere at such a rate that it creates a mountain chain the same size as the Himalayas in a matter of seconds and it was devastating. It killed off 75% of all life on the planet in about three months. And that's crazy mm. to think. But the effect that we're having on the environment today is worse than when that meteorite slammed into the Yucatan Peninsula 66 million years ago. What do you mean, like, worse I, over, since the Industrial Revolution? Over the last 200 years, we've seen a yeah. huge decline in species diversity. And that is basically because of us and our need for plastic and, and you can see the oceans they are being completely choked as yeah. you well we yes know all unfortunately you well know all about that <laughs> yeah yes. mm -hmm. so. yeah so so that's really interesting so you would um i guess it's it's very interesting to look at paleontology in the sense of what happens after those mm. events as well right because you've got these huge extinction events and then it it kind of makes space again for something new, doesn't it? Because the lizards, it was the end of the age of the lizards. Yes. And 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 it became the age of the mammals. Yeah. So uh, that that pivotal time at about sixty six million years ago, uh, a lot of things started to happen. So you had the terrible lizards that reigned supreme for hundred and sixty five million terrible years. Lizards. <laughs> They're terrible dinosaurs. Lizards. Right? They are the dinosaurs. I do mean to say that. Yes. <laughs> uh, so you first see them in the fossil record about two hundred and thirty million years ago, and they just abruptly end with that meteorite at about sixty six. But there were other uh, marine uh, reptiles as well so you had gigantic flying varieties known as the anazarchids which were the pterosaurs the flying reptiles and it's a huge question of how they even got off the ground in the first place how long were they like from so from they were the size tail? of a giraffe and they could fly and their wingspan was 11 meters in length so it's intense. That's like that's like Avatar the movie in real life, right? Like I can see myself ride one of those. I would be so if I don't badass. get eaten first, of course. <laughs> it's it's a really critical question. How do these things even get off 
the land mm. to fly in the first place. And in the oceans, you have a menagerie of these marine reptiles, but specifically, and if you look at Jurassic Park, you can see one of them, the uh, marine reptiles culminating in the form of the Mosasaurus. And the Mosasaurus was at best 12 meters in length, and they were gigantic predators, probably occupying the same evolutionary niche as an orca does today. Yeah, right. So. And also, Donna, I think you you had a really interesting question before the show about some of the uh, the the first paleontologists. Yeah, I did. I, I just kind of wanted to know where it all began, as far as paleontology goes, as as a science, and who were the first. Who so, got interested in this and how did that all kind of happen? Some of the first professional paleontologists probably came about after Charles Darwin released his thesis on the origin of the species in 1859. Mm. Um, the first ones that I can pretty much think of, it culminated in something called the Bone Wars between these two individuals, O.C. Marsh and Edward Drinker Cope. And what they did is they basically tried to name as many species as they possibly could in the quickest possible time. So things like Triceratops and Stegosaurus, they came about from this Bone War rivalry. And I guess it's, uh, it culminated in the 1870s all the way through to the early 1900s. And they didn't just do uh, dinosaurs, but they also did marine mammals. And of course, that being the emphasis of uh, my understanding of where I want to go uh, in trying to understand life. Because mm -hmm. to me, like I mentioned before, you see the huge size of the marine mammals, specifically something like a blue whale today. And you think to yourself, how does something like that get so big? So we've already discussed how the dinosaurs went extinct 66 million years ago. It took the Earth about 10 million years to reach a period where it actually got back to that same kind of species diversity. And at that stage, 50 million years ago, you see the very first ancestor of the whales. And it's a creature known as Pachycetus. It's known from the Indo-Pakistan region, thus the name Pachycetus. And it has four legs and it walks on land. Did it swim? Like, did it go into the ocean <clears throat> at some stage for like feeding or something? Or was it totally land-based? It was thought to be a bit semi-terrestrial. So it could go in both land and water as well. But it still had the fully formed legs that allowed it to walk on land, unlike mm. any whales at which you see today. So, and then what you start to see is the sequential evolution of different types of whales or cetaceans, as they're otherwise known. And they culminate at about 40 million years ago in this gigantic, variety that's completely obligately aquatic it's restrained only to water because of its huge size called Basilosaurus. How and big? Basilosaurus was about 18 meters in length. Oh, yeah. It was mm. one of the largest predators the earth had ever seen up until that stage and it was scary. I mean, it could eat whales, it could eat sharks. It so, had so that was a toothed huge. whale then? Correct. This yeah. was a toothed whale. <laughs> and what the lab at the Melbourne Museum is looking at at the moment is trying to understand the evolution of baleen whales and where they came from because they are the biggest and because no one really knows much about them at all. So when it comes to the toothed whales, there's a critical divide. So at about 34 million years ago, the massive Basilosaurus-like whales, they go extinct. You have the polarization of the Antarctic cap itself. It starts to freeze over and you start to get a glut of nutrients occurring worldwide. And you start to see the very first baleen varieties. Hang on, hang on. So, so Antarctica freezes over mm -hmm. and, and that creates like a lot of cold water, obviously, with mm -hmm. plankton, phytoplankton. Correct. And what happens then? Like that 
that starts to form like the Gulf streams that we have today? Yes, the Antarctic circumpolar currents is probably one of the most <clears throat> critical that we know on the planet. It produces about three quarters of all marine production. Mm. So without that, baleen whales wouldn't be where they are today. So that's really, a, you know, like pretty much everything in evolution, a happy accident, really, isn't it? It's completely <laughs> right. Evolution really is a happy accident when you think about it. So one of the critical junctures of uh, baleen whale evolution, though, is that we don't know the evolutionary ancestor of what these animals look like when they still had teeth. Because we know that they're, they're technically related to the basilosaurids, those massive 18-meter-long whales. Um, but we haven't seen the ones where they start to get both teeth and baleen. And it's been a really intriguing adventure for the last 50 to 60 years to try and figure it out. So what were the theories before the news that you're about to break to us? So Idiocetus was the very first baleen whale with teeth that was discovered in the fossil record and material and sediments that were about 30 to 23 million years of age and it had teeth and it was a baleen whale which completely revolutionized the way in which we see baleen whale evolution in 1966 but the significance of it wasn't actually found out until 2008. Now going to be a lot of technical terms coming at you right now but uh, one of the critical things with uh, baleen whales is if you want to have baleen you need a large blood supply to the baleen itself and for those listeners that don't already know baleen is the large keratinous racks that form in the top of the mouth that come down and form a kind of hinge-like structure so when these animals take these gigantic gulps of water they can filter out the tiny little particles and the tiny little microorganisms such as krill via the use of these baleen so what happens in 2008, they actually started looking at something known as the gingival sulci, these tiny little nerves in the upper palate of the upside of your mouth, in order to try and figure out if this animal had baleen. And these researchers said, yes, Idiocetus, one of the very first baleen whales with teeth, had baleen, and it was very exciting. And that was a theory, right? Because since baleen are keratinous in, in structure, like they wouldn't, they wouldn't preserve in a fossil, would they? In most cases, I would say 99.999 out of 10, <laughs> that would be the case. There's one spot on the planet uh, in Peru, in the Ica province, where it has been preserved, but that's because of fast depositional environment. So yeah. uh, it's very rare to find that actually occurring anywhere in the fossil record period. So you're basically left with the, the osteological correlates, the bony structures on the surface of the, of the mouth in order to try and figure it out. So what was the next step? So 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 they found they found a fossil that had both the teeth and those sulci, so those structures. Yes. Okay, and what 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 happened next? That, that that is the missing link, or how should we? Well, it was thought to that? be the missing link for a very long time, but now we've interpreted it as a dead end experiment of evolution. It basically oh. gave life mm. to no other animals at about twenty three million years ago. But a new, really intriguing whale has actually uh, been formally described. It's been known uh, for a very long time. It was found in sub Antarctica back in the seventies. They had to go back a second time to continue to collect from the same spot because they lost parts of the skull. From the very first bit that they'd actually left when they were trying to take it out. And this whale is called Lanocetus. It's the second oldest baleen whale ever found in the fossil record at about 34 million years old. The oldest being Mastacodon uh, from Peru at about 36 million. And one of the most critical, most important things that we look at when we see this skull, and it's a big skull for the age. Now, um, 
a bit of a sidetrack here. Baleen whales only started to get really, really big after the disappearance of the megatooth sharks, such as the megalodon, during the time at about 34 million years ago. They were still relatively small and something like some eight to 12 meters in size was considered big. And Lardacetus, which was a juvenile, mind you, was between eight and nine meters in length. Wow, so that was mm. only the baby. Just the baby one that yeah. we've got. So what's the estimation about how long the entire animal is as an adult? It's a very good question. We haven't got any adult specimens at all. So it could range anywhere between 12 and 13 meters. That would be my yeah. best guess yeah. for that. Wow. Um, Can I ask, uh, in the absence of DNA, the Etiocetus, yep. you said that's an evolutionary dead end. How can you tell just from the fossil that nothing came after that on that line? Um, what you see is in, at, at the same time at about uh, 23 million years ago, you get this massive dead end spectrum of all these experimental whales, including the tooth varieties that you can see today. And uh, with the Etiocetus and the Mammalodontids, which are another group of uh, baleen bearing toothed whales with these fantastically ornate teeth they're absolutely gorgeous if you haven't seen one before there's a skull on display at the melbourne museum i recommend you go and check it out because there's nothing alive like them today um there were also baleen whales alive back then as well they were known as the ko mysticetes or the dawn of the baleen whales and they had fully formed baleen in the upper hinges of in the jaw. same time as those other two lines of of uh, whales yeah. that went extinct. That's exactly right. So right. we know that these animals, because we have the the first uh, dawn of those mysticetes occurring at the same time that these guys actually just got completely defunct and completely extinct. So it, it is a really interesting thing because again, you have to look at those osteological correlates. You have to look at the bones. You have to try and figure out the way in which they shape together. And uh, a lot of it is very fragmentary as well. So uh, the entire presence of a single animal in the fossil record can come down to just a scrap of bone and that's it. Yeah, and so. that's interesting as well, isn't it? Because these are the theories that you base on what you've actually found. Yeah. But then, you know, maybe in five years' time, you'll find another mm. complete skeleton and all those theories change again because <laughs> it fits into a particular spot that changes all of your assumptions, right? That is exactly what we're hoping for. So Melbourne Museum at the moment is actually trying to uh, fund expeditions down to the surf coast in order to try and find more of these lost whales of the Oligocene, which dates back to about 23 to 34 million years ago, to try and understand where the evolution of baleen whales come about. But getting back to Linocetus and trying to understand, uh, so what you could see when we, we were talking about the gingival sulci just before, you could see these gingival sulci coming up onto the inner palate at the top side of the mouth, and rather than terminating in areas we would expect to see baleen, they terminate in the teeth itself. So what that told us is that this was a raptorial predator. This was an animal that still used its teeth to chew and munch up prey and rip its prey apart. And the sequential evolution of this animal probably went from chewing things to losing all of its teeth completely and becoming suction feeding, and then maybe burying a little bit of baleen at the back of the throat in order to keep these animals right in the back of its throat so it didn't keep on coming back up. And then that baleen basically transferred and mitigated itself across to where you see the baleen in the modern So, so they, when you're saying suction, so they lose <clears throat> their teeth and then you're saying like they suck in their food, would that be like a, like a bass or a carp? Like Correct. a fish, you know, like shooting out its mouth and creating an under pressure in the water and that sucks in the if water you with can the uh, imagine the complete opposite <clears throat> of an archer fish, you know how they sit at the top of the surface and they shoot that jet of water, yeah. just imagine it's sucking it back in yeah. instead and creating that polarized pressure in order to get that food inside its mouth. So they've got a mouthful of water and yeah. food, and they've then got the baleen, and then do they squirt it out again through the baleen? Is yes, that and they squirt it out again through the baleen. What do you think would cause an evolutionary change like that, going from having teeth to the sucking thing and then 
to something completely different and new. I'm glad you asked that question because uh, whales are the most aberrant and bizarre forms of mammals on the planet. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) this is a question that we've been trying to answer for quite a while. And what it really comes down to is food when Mm. I think about it. If there's a huge glut of small organisms that you can take advantage of, you'll do the best that you possibly can to evolve Mm. structures to try and eat those tiny little bits of food. Having said that, one of my favorite animals that is alive today is a beaked whale. And it's called Layard's beaked whale. And the males have these engorged tusks in the bottom of their jaw. And what they do is they basically go over the top of their snout and prevent the male from opening any more than 20 degrees. And you've got to ask yourself the question, why? Yeah. Why would you do that? I know you're trying to impress a female, but that's ridiculous. <laughs> you can't really eat anything. All I can do is eat squid and that's <clears throat> it. So, And just to impress a female at that, you know. So, well, maybe it's uh, on its way to become one of those uh, dead ends <laughs> in evolution. Who knows? The way it's going, it wouldn't shock me all that much. <laughs> yeah. No. And, and, so how do they eat? Do they suck in the squid as well? Yeah, they also suck in the squid via suction mm. feeding. And uh, I learned something really intriguing about sperm whales. I know it's a bit of a segue here, but uh, there are some horrifically deformed jaws in mature sperm whales that you can find in collections all over the world where the jaw basically spirals in on itself. And for the longest time, people know, that, um, and you, I'm sure some of you listeners are already know that the the jaws of a sperm whale they only have teeth in the bottom jaw Mm. they don't have them in the top part of the jaw and for the longest time it was thought to actually hold in the food but that's not thought to be the case anymore it's actually thought to be between two rival bull sperm whales that use them as weapons to hurt and yeah because they look a bit like because they're very narrow those bottom bottom jaws right they look a bit like swords with teeth really (laughs) (laughs) that is the perfect analogy just there they are a sword with teeth and they are devastating weapons to wield they'll be like come at me man i'll (laughs) smack you with my Jaw. <laughs> much, if my head yeah. doesn't get in the oh, way yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you put me under the ocean in a sperm whale uh, wall with that voice I can, <laughs> can i ask um yes. so the baleen let them get a lot of energy mm-hmm. so to grow very large the, uh, there was an idea up enough it's still valid with dinosaurs that they got so large <clears throat> to become gigantiferms or megaferms mm-hmm. um to help have a lower surface area for their volume so they lose less heat so instead of being endotherms like us it's basically just the size of them that keeps them warm Mm -hmm. is that thought to be the case with any of the whale lineages at all i guess when uh when i'm looking at the whales it's um the the most intriguing uh, feat about the modern whales that you see today is that they are the biggest that have ever existed so it's a very recent thing in the last couple of million years that you start to see this trend toward hypergigantism, more than 18 meters in length. And I, I'm sure that's true to some extent. I mean, uh, getting bigger means one of two things. It means that your predators won't be able to eat you. So at about three million years ago, you had two hypercarnivorous groups of animals that would predate some of the smaller baleen whales. You had the Megalodon, which a lot of your listeners may already know was the largest shark that ever existed, 15 meters in length and weighed a potential 50 metric tons. And some of the only fossils that you find of them are their teeth. And they're about six inches in size, so almost the same size as your head. And the other was a gigantic sperm whale and one of my absolute favorites as well called Liviatan. And Liviatan was a a killer sperm whale that's kind of famed from Moby Dick fame. And it had the single biggest teeth of any animal found in the fossil record. 
Yeah. Mm. Oh, sorry. You said Leviathan. I actually remembered. I think I think the Americans say Leviathan, yeah. don't yes, they? Yes, they like do that. say Leviathan. Yeah. Well, actually, yeah. there was an interesting thing with the nomenclature. So when naming this animal, they named it uh, Leviathan, but then they mm. found out that name had already been used, so they had to oh, go back it. and use oh. Leviathan, which is a shame because Leviathan sounds so much cooler. Also, a really yeah, it's, it's, like it's, a bad a guy in Supernatural in, I think, season eight. Yeah, <laughs> which, stems from, which stems from, like, I think it's Greek mythology. Like, oh uh, really? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's a building in the CBD. It's, it's similar Leviathan. to Kraken, I think. Yeah, yeah. It is. Yeah. Yes. It, it was. It had been quite a mythological beast for quite a while, and mm. it had been mentioned in the Bible for a number of. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. It's millennia now, I guess. Yeah. Um, but it kind of culminated in the form of Moby Dick, uh, Herman Melville's novel, The Great White Whale. And it, it is just a magnificent animal to think of what this creature would have looked like when it was alive. The impacts of that animal, though, are unparalleled. It would have had a huge dominance over the baleen whales. And it's thought that when they disappeared, baleen whales came into their own and started getting bigger due to the glut of food that was available at that time. Yeah, because that's really it, isn't it? I mean... The size that you can grow to really depends on the food availability yes. in that case. But if you're a baleen whale, you only have to really open your mouth in the right spot and it just comes right in, right? That's exactly right. Also, the constraint of gravity is another mm. indicator there as well. So because they're in water, they can get so much bigger than anything ever did get on land. I is mean, there a biomechanical yeah. upper limit? To the size of a lot It's uh, it's a good question. We thought there was a biomechanical limit to the size of uh, flying animals like the uh, <laughs> the flying pterosaurs, <laughs> but uh, when we found the fossil record of it, we were like, "Wow, that doesn't make any sense at all." Mm. How does something two hundred <laughs> kilos the size of a giraffe there fly? There you go. We are limited by our own imagination <clears throat> Very once much again, so. don't mm. we? Yes. We're going to have to wind up now. Um, thank you so much for joining us, Ben. Anytime, that was guys. a really interesting chat. I had chat. heaps of fun. Thank you so much <laughs> for having me on. You're welcome to come back. I think there's here. plenty more to talk about. Oh, you have no idea. <laughs> Just <laughs> scraping the yeah, surface. Only like, We're what, only 800 million years worth of We've got a whole Definitely. five more eras and whatever they're called <laughs> to go. Um, so Sally's in next with Out of the Pan. Uh, you've been listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR. And one final reminder of our Radiothon fundraiser this Wednesday night at Highlander Bar. Check out our Facebook page for all the details. Out where the river broke The bloodwood and the desert oak Holding wrecks and boiling diesels Steaming Time has come to save this fair to pay.